Happy New Year, listeners. Yay! We don't have poppers. It would destroy our new mic. Well, I mean, I don't see what poppers would necessarily do for us anyway. (laughs) You're right. I think those are illegal now. (laughs) Welcome to Drunk Book Club, where we read stuff that you might have heard of, but probably didn't read. I'm Vry, and uh, with me as always is Dorothy. Hi, everybody. What did we read, Vry? Well, we're ringing in the new year with bad decisions, like we always do. In keeping with uh, the series that started Drunk Book Club out, we read the latest Prince Lestat book. I think we can just stop calling them Vampire Chronicles books now, right? I mean, the covers barely do. Mm-hmm. This is a novel of Prince Lestat. Yep, this is the Prince Lestat series. The bad fanfic. Yes, uh, so we read the recently released Blood Communion, which came out in October of 2018, making it the most newestest book that we read for this podcast. Yeah, there was not a lot of turnaround time on this Mm. compared to the ones that, you know, are like 30 years old. Well, there might be a reason for that. It could have to do with the uh, illustrious length of this year novel. Well, I mean, there there were also all of those advanced reading copies given out to people who specifically identified themselves as hardcore fans. This is hearsay, but we do- No, no, I saw one of them saying- Amazing. Yeah. But yeah, we also happen to know somebody who received an an ARC, an advanced reader copy, for the last book we covered, Realms of Atlantis, and gave it a one-star review, applied for a Blood Communion ARC, and uh, was turned down. So I'm not saying there was a motivation there. Nope. That would be actionable, possibly. No, all of this is incredibly theoretical uh, stuff that we heard one time, and we're certainly not implying anything about... The motives of the people assigning the advanced reading copies. Certainly not. That would be wrong, in that we could get sued for it. Us being sued is always wrong. So we had to wait till the proper street release date to read this this amazing, beautiful, 256-page book with extra-wide margins. And illustrations. Beautiful, very necessary illustrations. I don't want to shit on the illustrator, but I am going to shit on the illustrator. Some of these images are not distinguishable as what they are, like that chest full of clothes that looks like the blob. It, it does look like there's some manner of fleshy, bloodborne monster eating the chair. It's a problem. That wasn't a chair. That that was the chest full of clothes that they mailed. Oh dear. That Savrain brought for oh dear. anyone who wants feminine clothes. Because Savrain is good, actually. Is inclusive. <laughs> well, she would have to be. What, the, with the, her? Sorry, the great Savrain. Yes. As we call her three times per page when she's around. Not doing anything, no, but being great. No, God forbid. No, she has a vagina. She can't do anything. But she's very old and powerful. Don't worry about it. I don't want us to get too deep into it without crediting your excellent mixology, so what are you drinking this time? Ah, well, you had one, too. I did, and it was good. I was not allowed to have very much. I am having an oatmeal cookie shot. Traditionally, it's made with um, Irish cream, butterscotch liqueur, and uh, Goldschlager, because that fits the tackiness of, of this book's whole aesthetic perfectly. However, I had better cinnamon liqueur in the house, and I was not going to pay for Goldschlager for a lulz that you people can't even see. So I didn't use the Goldschlager. I used something stronger. It's very good. It's so good that I enjoy drinking it. Yeah. Um, it's traditionally mixed uh, in equal parts, shaken with ice and strained as a shot. 
I have mixed multiple as a long drink because getting up to make multiple shots of it is more effort than I'm uh, willing to take. And the reason I chose the oatmeal cookie, which does not seem on the surface like a very vampire-y thing, mm-hmm. is because, as we all know, oatmeal cookies lure you in by looking on the surface like something delicious that you want, and then you bite into it and realize it's nasty crap. Only if there's raisins in it, to be fair. No, they all masquerade as chocolate chip cookies, and it's it's sa- Satan. Yeah, fair. <laughs> and uh, after I had my one shot, which was very good, I am now drinking a Moscato candy drink uh, called Innocent Bystander, which I feel speaks for itself. Yep, I picked that one out too, and I, I figured... it's good. It was good. It was a good choice. Yeah, I had to have their usual Moscato, so... <laughs> I'm a trash person so doing I, a drunk podcast. So I tried to pick out a good one. <laughs> so those are the tools necessary for us to read this book. Now I'm going to tell you about it, and it's going to sound interesting. It's going to sound tolerable. It's going to sound like a a book. Mm-hmm. A book-shaped object. <laughs> then we will get to discussing the actual writing of the thing. And that's where the oatmeal cookie will come in. Mm-hmm. You see, it's all, it's all coming together. She does themes. I do. So the plot of this book... Unlike Anne Rice. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll get to that. We should probably recap the last 40 years real quick. Real quick. Yeah, real, real quick. Um, You know, for more, if you want more info, check back with our other podcast where we gave a little bit more complete history about the other books. Um, In the Prince Lestat series. Yeah. We, we gave some base info about the the early books, but yeah, I but feel yeah. you. I feel you. Uh, so the Vampire Chronicles is a story about, I guess. All about how. Lestat's life got flipped, turned upside down. <laughs> Apparently the Wikipedia says that these are the stories of... He got into one little fight with wolves, and his mama got scared. <laughs> and sent his broke ass to Paris with his boyfriend? <laughs> I don't rhyme. I'm very white. <laughs> so am I. I have no excuse. I'm just stealing from Will Smith. So they are the stories of, of trash vampires, specifically Louis de Pointelac and Lestat de Lioncourt, who have an epic, century-spanning, garbage-fire-on-and-off-again romance. Including the publication of tell-all books and music videos. Uh-huh. And that's the first three books, and we love them. We love them so much. You you can listen to our other podcast, Trash or Treasures, and... Nope, Trash and Treasures. I do the boost. Both. <laughs> Um, where we talked about the Neil Jordan film from 94, which is very camp and very good. And someday we will talk about the Hulu series. Will we? The alleged Hulu series. That's definitely coming out and we haven't had news about since July. You know, and in April we found out that they had lost their chosen showrunner in February. Mm-hmm. No, but it's going After fine, two though. months of him being attached. And then three months after uh, after we got that announcement, they announced we were getting Harlot Season 3, which is also a costume drama aimed at female audiences, but I'm sure it's fine. I mean, I'd rather have Harlots. Absolutely I would. Uh, I was actively mourning Harlots when I found out that Hulu acquired the license, because, let's face it, this town ain't big enough. <laughs> there are three good books that tell a cohesive story. After that, Anne Rice gets big enough that she decides... She literally doesn't need an editor. She does one draft and it's perfect, you guys. She slaves over it and it doesn't need any fixes. Also, she writes page to page. She doesn't revise. She just writes a page and then tears it out of the typewriter and rewrites it. Which is very efficient and also a good way to structure a story. Uh, 
it's not. There, there were ten other books like that, and then she found Jesus again and renounced them and wrote other books for a while, realized that those books weren't selling very well, and came back to the vampires. Well, first she tried to not come back to the vampires, but write but still come back to her core audience by writing werewolves. That didn't sell. Mm-mm. And then she did angels for a hot second. Yep. Also didn't sell. So I can't make too much fun of her obsession with Lestat because apparently he's based on her dead husband and that's sad and all, but also she's also said Lestat is literally her. So mm-hmm. she doesn't get a pass on that part. Yeah. And also I feel we can say as a statement that even really talented good authors should not be writing the same series for multiple decades because ideally you're growing as an artist and a person and eventually you won't be able to connect with those characters and themes anymore and that's okay that's natural how'd that work out for monkey punch um well (laughs) it's just the same thing forever (laughs) and that's okay because it's a lulzy heist of the week series (laughs) Also, the manga is Let's check in great. with Supernatural fans now. Yeah. Oh, they're doing fine. Yeah, no, that, that definitely refutes my argument as opposed to making it stronger. <laughs> so in 2012, she comes back to the vampires and rides Prince Lestat, where she tries to act like it's continuing on from those first three books, but also dragging along all the characters she introduced in the ten books that happened in between. Yeah, so it's like a soft retcon reboot. With 25 years of shit still having happened. It's very weird and very poorly written. So there are, like, people who weren't vampires but are vampires now, but she's trying to carry on directly emotionally from where everybody was in 1985. Mm-hmm. Which she was writing in 89. It's a problem. There's a lot of timeline issues because by the, t- because by the time Queen of the Damned, the third book, was written, it was still set directly as a continuation of the events of Prince Lestat, or the vampire Lestat. There you go. The good one. In 1985. But she seems to have sometimes gotten that mixed up and thought it was happening in 89 just because... That's the year the the novel was published? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of timeline fuckery. So it's a very weird reading experience. And you might think, with 25 years of characters... That you wouldn't feel the need to introduce as many as ten new characters a book, and my friend, you would be wrong. That's not an exaggeration or a joke. No. It's a very sad statement from a very sad person. With these new books, we generally get about ten new characters per book. And if you're thinking these are fascinating, vibrant characters that are opening up the story world and taking us in new directions... You haven't been listening for very long. Hello, new listener. Please don't go away. Hey, that's a great segue into the book. Oh, it is because but we'll put a we'll put a pin in that because we're talking about the plot, right? So the plot is that uh, Lestat basically gets thrust into the role because you know some because are born obviously great. he doesn't want to. Okay, he was neither born great nor achieved greatness, so he has to have greatness <laughs> thrust upon him. Lestat wants a lot of things thrust upon him. Yes, but enough about his daddy kink. No, no, we'll come back to it. Again, uh, he, he he winds up uh, sort of roped into the role of being the quote-unquote prince of the vampires, um, and he complains and whines about it while also taking c- full advantage of the privileges of the station. Uh-huh. I mean sex. Yeah, a lot of sex with people who aren't necessarily consenting, but nothing ever comes of it for him. No consequences for him. And uh, there is nominally a plot about 
about the source of all vampires deciding which, that they're- Which is bird aliens. Uh-huh. Well, before that, there is a- No, no, the bird aliens were before. I mean, yes. Chronologically. <laughs> but we have to talk in terms of continuity or we'll all die. <laughs> the plot of Prince Lestat is nominally that the creature spirit that powers all the vampires has decided well, there are really too many wants vampires. Really to be inside Lestat. Uh-huh. And also there's too many skanky vampires. So kill off all the weak skanky vampires and only keep the rich classy ones. Coincidentally. Coincidentally, mostly the lower class and non-white ones. Very coincidentally. So Lestat ends up the source of all vampires, meaning if something bad happens to him, everybody else dies. And he becomes this way because he um, eats eyeballs and brain. And now, if anybody fucks with him, they will also die, so he's invulnerable. Then yep. Anne realized that that really takes away a lot of the tension of any physical confrontation. So in Prince Lestat in the Realms of Atlantis, obviously the answer is owls. Yep, it's, um, have you ever watched Madoka Magica? It's the same aliens feed off of our suffering plot, to the point where I kind of have questions. But specifically, fuck Catholicism. Uh-huh, oh yeah, no. Because she is off Catholicism. Again, this week. Um, also, all of the vampires who have ever died before, except Nikki and Claudia, are back as ghosts, because ghosts are a thing now. So, yeah, the plot of that book is, by the way, aliens are the source of vampires, and also- Aliens. <laughs> also, we gotta get the source out of uh, of all vampires out of Lestat's body and into his own body so that they can make out, and also so that Lestat can theoretically be physically imperiled again. But not really. It's deeply unclear. Um, also, the people of the purpose. Oh. Who we have to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so the Burb aliens. First, they abducted a redheaded child from Russia 6,000 years ago who was lived a happy life in his village, but also was hated and feared because he was pale and redheaded and the terrible brown people that peopled the earth at the time were, you know, frightened by physical differences and, you know, they were raised the race word racist, but but like they were racist against this poor white boy. Right, the original racism. <laughs> so the And then they put a consciousness in him and gave him superpowers to be smarter than everybody and he was supposed to to destroy the world but instead he built Atlantis and he became literal Jesus savior of the world. But 6,000 years ago, instead of 2,000 years ago. So he's not literal Jesus, because literal Jesus did exist. Because Lestat went back in time and drank his blood, maybe. There's a lot of canon in these books. <laughs> but after, so when that didn't work out, the Burb aliens made four clones who were supposed to go down and destroy the Earth and take out a Mel. And they were all immune to feelings of fear, except for one of them who's a giant wuss mm -hmm. and cries all the time. Yep, because and this is so that he can be the submissive in his relationship with another of the dudes. No, no, it's theoretically so that he can act as the warning system for all of them, but like for real though. But but actually it's so he can be the submissive in his relationship with another of the dudes. Yep. And so they became friends with Amel instead, it the the redhead Jesus. And Redhead Jesus is um, the these these clones are not as pale as Amel because they were made to blend in with humans so that they wouldn't get racism done to them. Mm-hmm. At the time. Yep. Yeah, uh, Realms of Atlanta just is a literal white savior story, so that was fun. Yep. And then Amel winds up, you know, becoming spiritified, and, and he becomes- forced, forced to destroy Atlantis. Uh-huh. And then he becomes the source of all vampires. Also, Memnock might have been there. 
Or maybe not. We're it's not unclear. Sure. It, which week is it? What day of the week is it? Um, Memnock was literal Satan for a while in the 90s, but then for a minute in the last book, it seemed like he was just another pissed off ghost. But it seems like he might be literal Satan again in uh, this book, so. Continuity is for chumps. And we had to bring up the clones because they show back up in this book because they were all frozen in ice after Amel became the source of vampires. Well, some of them were frozen in ice, some of them wandered the earth and occasionally napped in caves. They were out of the picture, regardless. Yeah. She had some of them float across oceans because she's still about that idea of migration from Egypt to South America via boat. Mm -hmm. then, then they popped back up to help Amel get into a new body and out of Lestat and they can make clones of themselves, which is where we're at for this book. They were very helpful. One might almost say magical. Mm, a little bit. Then this carries also, on basically from that. They can re they never noticed before, but they discovered in the last book that they can reproduce by chopping bits off of themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it will somehow defy all of the laws of physics and grow into an entire full additional human android thing. Yes. They call them clones. But it's starfish replication. They, they re reproduce asexually, which is the only definition of asexuality and knows. Well, you know, it's a big problem with Amel. Yeah, there's a, it, it's not really dwelt on, but there is a tossed off reference about how once Amel gets his own body, he feels things like vampires do. So, you know, vampires are dead. Their sex bits don't work. So everything they do is sex, but Amel is in a but living. But also they have permanent boners. Shh, we don't talk about the boners. Neither does Anne anymore. <laughs> but I'm like Pepperidge Farms, Fry. Uh-huh. I'm like an elephant. I'm a Pepperidge Farms elephant. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember everything. Uh-huh. I know. Amel feels like vampires, but is in a functional human body, which, in terms of coding, means that he's not interested in sex. make out with Lassat in front of Louis. But, well, but now he's not interested in the sex. Uh-huh. Well, even he's, though they did that at the end of the last book. <laughs> yes, but my point is that, that he's basically asexual coded, and that's a problem. That is described as a flaw or a physical problem with the body he has. Uh-huh. That he is that he just really enjoys life and everything in it, but isn't interested in sex. Whoops a doodle. These books are well known for being very important to a lot of queer readers, um, a lot of readers outside the norm. They're very significant emotionally for a lot of us. They're also phobic as fuck. In so many ways. In every possible way. Yeah, including in ways where they also resonate. Yeah, like a lot of the times when it does something right, that's a total whoops-a-doodle and it's simultaneously doing something wrong. Yes. So this book starts out not long after the last one. Yeah. Where um, Lestat is still at court doing court shit. And... The plot is that one of the vampires from the first Prince Lestat, who was bitter about this whole court business, is now coming back for revenge after doing nothing in that during the Atlantis book. He was just on vacay. So the, the story starts up with Lestat has been called to defend this the house of this dude we've never met before named Mitka and or Fontaine. The book can't quite decide in narration which to call him. And he does so by killing, like, a bunch of punk vampires who did bad stuff. And then Mitka slash Fontaine is very appealing and blonde and tells Lestat that, number one, there's this scary dude named Baldwin around. Doing stuff. Who's disrespecting the court. Like, that—that that is literally his crime, is he's mm -hmm. disrespecting the court. 
but also Mitka would super like to come to court. Oh, OMG, I would love to come there, but mm, there's this guy named Arjun, and he's not nice to me. Arjun is a character. I haven't in seen the him in time. hundreds of years, but like he was mad last time I saw him. So, mm-hmm. and Lestat instantly decides, yeah, existing character Arjun that I know needs to be expelled from court immediately because this guy's cute. Mm-hmm. Super blonde. I would like to get him in a three-way with my boyfriend because he also reads books. And then Lestat gets back to court and is informed Arjun's already dead. Makes it easy! We're gonna get a, a cease and desist <laughs> from Allison Pregler. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, and for you keeping score on your counter at home, uh, Arjun is the fourth death in the book. <laughs> and also the ex-boyfriend of Pandora, who I think existed in the other books, but I he don't did. remember. He did. Accounts differ as to how terrible he was. Yep. But he He's certainly- not white. Yes, he certainly is described as dark and barbaric. And ugly. Like, there's a lot of language devoted to how- Oh, also, he refuses to become modern and civilized. So Lestat's super okay with the fact that Marius murdered the guy. Also, Pandora is hysterical. Oh, yeah. Like, in those words. People have alleged that Pandora was always an emotional wreck who couldn't get things done, but I don't remember her that way. And that doesn't make it good writing, even if... Oh, even if she's always been the hysterical woman? Even if you believe this is consistent, there are male characters who, you know... Have been equally detached. Uh, yeah, it's it's not good. So yeah, there was discourse on my Tumblr post. <laughs> <laughs> what a phrase! <laughs> That's why I used it. There's there's a little bit of of quibbling where you know Marius is obviously instantaneously absolved of this, but like definitely Pandora didn't like Arjun and everything is his fault and it's fine for him to be dead so that now we can slot this new guy in who the thing is like if you're writing this you didn't have to write this obstacle to him coming to court Mm -hmm. you could have just not had that be a thing and had Arjun not be there it's really easy to just not write characters into the story entirely and a lot like like, obstacle characters Mm -hmm. can just not be in the story we'll come back to this Uh uh-huh well and it's one of those things that happens in this book a lot where there are things that ostensibly on the surface sound good in broad strokes and then contextually it bad actually. Like Marius killed an abu- like like an abusive boyfriend. That's good. Uh, except that in the right before Lestat goes into the court hearing for all of this, he has a throwaway line about how, oh, he's gotta be careful about calling women Mon Cherie. Because, you know, he could get in trouble for that. In the vampire court that he runs. By saying nice things to his friends. Like the women who are literally his friends. But guys, has Me Too gone too far? It hasn't. But like, that's strongly the implication of that shitty line. So it totally undercuts the blatant moment of, oh, but he ha- we have to let him off. He did it because she was being abused. Well, that's the point, is Lestat knows the difference between what's really abuse and what's just hysterical feminists. Oh my god, it's so bad. He does a little bit of hand-wringing about how, oh man, I don't want to run a, ch- a-, a court without a justice system, you guys, where we can just kill people off because I like that person who does the killing better and nothing comes of that. Yeah. And uh, then Fontaine can come to court. And, and then Fontaine has to reiterate again the shit about Baldwin. Who shows up and is immediately dispatched as a threat. 
But the way he's dispatched is cool. Um, so Lestat has bodyguards. We don't know why he has bodyguards, but he has bodyguards. Mm-hmm. They're they're from when he was the source, but now they're just around because they make like him. Sense when he was the source either. No, but theoretically, that's why they were there. If he went catatonic, would they have become the new keepers? Good question. Because because I have to believe Louis wouldn't. Fuck no, Louis would get the fuck out of Dodge immediately. Like oh gosh, how sad. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Sorry, I have to launder my cat. <laughs> um, but so Thorn and Cyril apparently do something that, like, everybody's been aware of. Mm-hmm. That they wrap him up in iron. So they're, they're worried that he's going to throw fire from his eyes, which is specifically how vampires set things on fire. It's an eye contact thing. So it, now, now yeah. it is. Yeah. So they're tussling with the dude and they wrestle him down and they pull out an entire wrought iron fence and wrap him up in it. Because vampires because, are fey now. Well, no, because um, the fire from their eyes is actually electricity. So if you're wrapped up in iron when it's happening, you will conduct the energy back into your own body and somehow this will fry you. Um, and they say that it's literally, quote unquote, easier than ripping his eyeballs out. Because they're asked about this specifically. Why didn't you just rip his eyeballs out? Objection. This is very stupid. Yeah, also it's magical power. Why does he need eyeballs to admit it? I don't know. Marius's whole thing in Vampire Lestat was that don't tell Louis anything because I'll set your fledglings on fire from Europe and you know I can do it. Yeah, but Lestat's very stupid and would believe literally anything that <laughs> Marius said. Well, yes. Lestat was kind of dumb back in the day. Now, now I'm comfortable saying he is very stupid. <laughs> he's extremely stupid. But everybody nods sagely and is like, okay, that makes total sense. Yes. It's very reasonable and scientific. The, the vampire scientist Fareed. Not the vampire scientist Flannery. Oh no, she was just... The incubator. <sighs> yeah. Depressing. Lestat has a kid. Yeah. A biological kid. Yep. And so an adopted daughter. His son and daughter are married to one another. Awkward. But fitting. <laughs> I mean, this is a small gene pool and getting smaller every time somebody does a purge. <laughs> yeah. It's right up there with the Romanovs at this point, which is fitting. This is Again. Some, this is some Mary Syndrome shit. Mm-hmm. This is some spider baby nonsense. So, yeah, uh, vampires are weak to iron now, which has definitely been always a thing and not a thing that was just introduced in this book. And it's literally presented as, oh, just nobody noticed, it, nobody mentioned it to you for 200 years. Oh, did you know? Yeah. <laughs> so this guy who was talked up as a huge threat for a couple chowers is thrown in the dungeon, which exists. And then he's just there until they pull him out near the end because they forgot they had to wrap up that plot thread and he's killed. Without posing any more threat. Yeah. But he, it's okay. He's in the dungeon, which is administrated by Barbara. Oh my god. Pull out should your we, counter. Sh should we come back to her with the characters? Yeah. Talk. She's not really an important character. It's just a big old moment of yikes. Yeah. It's very yikes. So then we move on to the main, main villain, probably. Um, Rochamandes. Oh, no, no, no. The, the main, main villain seems to be Gundasanth, who is Baldwin's maker. And Baldwin's like, Gundasanth's gonna come kill your ass because he wouldn't want all of vampires ruled in a stupid court system mm -hmm. by one asshole who's not even smart and lives in France and won't let people actually eat. Mm -hmm. Like, literally starving yourself is a requirement of coming to court. Which so, baby vampires cannot do. They'll die. 
Right. So there's this whole thing where it's totally not a problem that if you're not like 500 plus years old, you're going to be not permitted to feed yourself while at court. So you're going to just need to be under the protection of somebody who can nip you off to Marseille to kill some of the many, many criminals there. Hey, remember in the Vampire Lestat how... No. Oh. No, no, go on. <laughs> but my point being that even though Queen of the Damned kind of fucked it up with the ultimate plot resolution, theoretically part of the reason Lestat became a rock star, besides making amends to Louis, was to say, hey, this whole system of of makers and fledglings in the hierarchical power structure is bullshit and I'm gonna tell all your secrets. Fuck y'all, come get me. But now, you know, you need an escort. But now he's in charge. Well, see, it's very easy to rebel against nothing in particular. Uh-huh. It's harder to rebel against a system where everybody agrees you should be in charge. Uh, yeah. But as it turns out, Gundasanth is not a threat either. Well, Gundasanth might be. He's out there. But more importantly, Rashomandes, uh -huh. who was just first introduced in Prince Lestat, and Lestat cut his hand off, and apparently he's sore about that. He tried to kidnap Lestat's biological child, who is not important at all. And he had a boyfriend named Benedict, who I remember as being dark-haired, but apparently his pubes are blonde. So, either he was dying it on the nightly, or Anne forgot something again. Yeah. So he's apparently been sore about having his hand chopped off for two books. It's super weird that we're doing the hand chopping thing, because that should be a potent symbol. Mm -hmm. in this series and it's very not no it certainly is a visual motif but it's not imbued with the importance that that it should be that it starts out with because that should be a really weighted image especially Lestat enacting mm -hmm. the cutting of a hand because <laughs> vampire Lestat <laughs> um his first love went mad and died because his hands were cut off and he was a violinist. And but his hands were cut off specifically to try and control his aberrant behavior as a vampire. Uh-huh. And then when he dies and Lestat gets the news, he keeps focusing on they cut off his hands. C can you believe it? They cut off his hands. Well, and also Nikki's father used to threaten to break his hands. Mm -hmm. So, like, hand injury was a motif. But now it's just a thing no, with it's no just a somatic scary, weight. A scary image. And if I were to write a fanfic, which I wouldn't, of course, because, because that's extremely illegal. Uh huh. But if I were to write a fanfic where hand cutting off were used, it would be a very significant moment. Yes, which yes. I would never do. Of course not. None of us would ever do that. That's highly illegal. Uh, so Ro Rashomandas' latest plan to get revenge is more kidnapping. Oh well, my no, god, it's just kidnapping no, again. No, no, first, he, he's just being a spookum. But he's being so spookum that he's trot Capetria, the inhuman, not really woman because her womb is barren. Yeah, that's the, the idea. That is explicit. Infertility, meaning you're less than human, has come up more than once in these new books. But, like, the vampires are infertile, though. Yeah, but but they bang, though. I don't like have they, an answer for they, that. They bang one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... But not know. lesbians, though. Oh, no. There are no lesbians. This book is... These books are deathly afraid of lesbians. There's a lot of friends. So many friends. Gosh darn friends. It's so weird, because Prince Lestat worked itself all the way up to using the phrase lovers, but we're back to friends again. Yeah, everybody's friends. Friendly friends. 
friendly friends who kiss each other on the mouth with tongue. But yeah, there, there is a really, really stupid aside where, where Capetria, the most sciency and logical of the clones the bird aliens made. She is the ice queen bird alien clone. And she has lived on Earth since time was a thing. She lived in America in the 20th century. She lived through the destruction of Atlantis when she was like three months old. But this old ass vampire standing in the fireplace and going a boogie boogie boo. And then disappearing because he go fast. Like, just pulling a flash. That has taught her fear. Because she has never experienced the emotion known as fear before. Mammalian fear. Be- because she's not mammalian, you see. She is avian. Yeah. This is not important to the plot. It was just stupid, and we wanted to it tell you about it. It was funny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, like, this fucker? He can't even hurt you. Uh-huh. He's literally incapable of inflicting any lasting damage. In fact, anything he tried would just result in a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. Like, you blow her up, and you'll get five new Capetrias. <laughs> so yes, when when the spookaming does not work, he starts with the kidnapping. Well, he doesn't start with the kidnapping until Lestat fulfills a request after receiving a Pope throne. And Armand gets the best scene. That's the second true. best scene. There is a... I guess it's technically plot-relevant in that it makes Rosh Hashanah men... No... Okay, but Rosh Hashanah actually does come up in Rosh Hashanah's Oh, yeah, plot. you're right. That's not fun to miss-say anymore. You're right, it's bad, and I'm sorry. <laughs> you're ashamed. I'm ashamed of my needs. words and deeds. <laughs> Just like he said you would be. <sighs> Damn you, Hideo. <laughs> Ostensibly, Rosh Hashanah's ends up being angry because his boyfriend Benedict comes to court and is like, I am ashamed of my words and deeds, <laughs> so I want you to rip out my eyeballs and kill me. Well, he rips out his own eyeballs. But first he gives Lestat a Pope throne. Uh-huh. It's just, it's specifically described as a throne like a Pope would sit on. Not like a king, a Pope, because that's more bigger and also <laughs> spicy. <laughs> and keeping up the monkey's paw theme of this book, Benedict gives a long speech about how vampires should all be polyamorous. Right, and- like, and another finger curled down. I don't know how many fucking fingers this monkey had. <laughs> Too many. It's upsetting that this is more like like a squid paw. (laughs) (laughs) And because, again, monogamy in these books is stupid. Because these people are all stupid and terrible. And are going to live forever. Which is not why they shouldn't be monogamous, but it's a contributing factor to where none of them are good at adult relationships, and so at least serial monogamy Uh has to be on the table. Uh Uh-huh. If they became slightly more rational adults, polyamory. Mm-hmm. You could all just interact with one another. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it would solve the stupid centuries-long love triangles that are going on instead. <laughs> love heptagons. God, so many. <laughs> but no, this speech comes bluntly, artlessly, and at a terrible time. And then he, then he requests... Death in the old fashion, which is apparently the most extra way possible, and I'm disappointed that any vampires let this custom lapse from memory. This is the true curse of the children of darkness, that they allowed this to lapse. Because, <laughs> uh-huh. oh my god. So, they assemble the entire court in the ballroom, which is big enough to hold 2,000 people. Or 3,000 by the end of the book. However many the plot requires, yes. For a while, there were like like 4,000, but then it got revised down to 3,000 within this book. Mm-hmm. Not because of any murders, I assure you. Uh, and so Benedict <coughs> rips out his eyeballs and donates them to science. 
literally, he gives them to Fareed to use for, quote unquote, some goodly purpose. And then he stabs himself in the chest and slits his wrists, strips naked, which is how we know what color his pubes are. Uh Uh-huh. I wasn't joking. Nope. They do not discuss his permaboner. Nope. Sadly. Which exists. Thank you, Queen of the Damned. And and then he's like, all right, baby vamps, free buffet. And then they literally tear him to pieces in the most embarrassing attempt at a Catholic metaphor I've ever seen. Right, because in, meanwhile and in the I'm background, <laughs> meanwhile in the background, the Dies Irae is is being sung. And then and then when they finish that, they don't like loop it or move on to another similar. No, no, no. no. They jump to Oh Fortuna, <laughs> the movie sound trailer <laughs> song. You, Which, like, and it's that's beautiful. what they're hearing <laughs> as the entire court except Lestat who's sitting on his pope throne presiding mm-hmm. they all drink him down until he, he is bits of white statuary like like again a hand just floats past Lestat's <laughs> field of vision and that should be a potent image but it's not mm-hmm. and then they chuck uh, the remaining bits into the fire and his skull is melting Right as Rochamonde shows up. Darn dramatic irony. Apparently vampires are less flammable than they used yep, to be. Yep, yep. Because that was like the whole trade-off is you live forever. But, but you have no immortal soul. Uh-huh. And you flammable. Obviously she backed off on the no immortal soul thing because now if you're a vampire and you die, you just get to come back as a ghost. Mm-hmm. And then if you stay a ghost too long, you grow a physical mortal body and you can't be a ghost no more. So I guess you can then either become a vampire or <laughs> or kill yourself and become a ghost again. <laughs> and that's the cycle of condensation. <laughs> okay, but now tell me about the mitochondria. <laughs> well, it's the powerhouse of the vampire cell. Lassat has cells in the basement. He literally has a dungeon that he's very reluctant to use. Reluctant, quote unquote. Okay, but when Benedict showed up, he was all like, Woe is me, I have things to say. Piss, piss, moan, moan. And And Armand was amazing. My beautiful son, who has gotten maybe five lines of dialogue in the past two books. But they're all priceless. Uh huh. He has so so he says the best thing. Oh, hurry up and die! Do you want me to help you? <laughs> and as it turned out, he did. He did, and he did. Did Armand is a helpful boy above all <laughs> other things. If someone asks him to help them die, he will do it. Death orgy ensuing. <laughs> well, that back when vampires had characterizations, mm-hmm. that used to be Armand's thing. Yes, he was. He used to be the assisted he, suicide vampire. Mm-hmm. Just like uh, Louis used to be the random vampire, and Lestat and Marius used to be the murder and rape fetishist vampires. Yep. Uh, wasn't it now nice? Now everybody has to be a murder-rape fetishist vampire. Lestat says so. Yep. But, yeah, Armand is really amazing, and I was sad because, A, Benedict is... He's not actually interesting, but he's the most theoretically interesting. There was the most potential for interesting me. But, no, we've got the vampire Greg instead. Uh-huh. Well, that's fucking Greg, y'all. Yeah. Greg is the fourth vampire ever made. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's... I I feel like one of the things that has gotten passed around about about this book is this speech between Louis and Lestat, where Louis's like, I love you so much. 
I love you with all the love in my heart and full of love. Also, you instructed me in love. Nobody taught me to love before this most recent time we were together. Anyway, so they're all at the party, uh, which is also a murder orgy and an Mm -hmm. assisted suicide. Kevorkian would be very confused, I feel, but... But, you know. And uh, Rochamondis shows up, takes one look around the room, and disappears with a bang and a flash. And Lestat's like, I sure pity his loser ass. (laughs) And then five minutes later, um, they're like, you know your mom was kidnapped, right? Fuck. (laughs) Which is exactly how it lands in the book, and that's maybe the one moment that worked. Yeah. As I was sitting there smugly pitying my defeated enemy. And then... <laughs> and then they were like, you know, your mom's gone, right? Fuck. <laughs> 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 um, so Gabrielle's dead. Super dead. So seriously dead for real. Um, They mail back her hair, which is just a serious fuck you. Mm-hmm. And her coat. And some ashes. And, and then... Louis and Lestat have a moment, like, the second time they've been together on screen, and one of them was for a public affair. Meanwhile, Lestat is having other public affairs. Yeah, well, yeah, he that's the thing. specifically like... attempted to get Louis to fuck Fontaine. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but that's the thing, is that, like, this has been, this speech has been passed around as, like, a, oh, aren't they so romantic? But, A, that's the second time they've interacted at all, and B, Lestat has shown no intimate moments with Louis at all. He's fucking Greg. He has two sex scenes with Greg and nothing with Louis, except for this blatantly manipulative speech. Right, and like, okay, all vampires are poly now. We have been blessed by by the monk who committed suicide a minute ago. Mm-hmm. To, to all be poly now. Because the error of our ways or something. But, like, th- there's just... Th- there's no... There's nothing there. I don't feel it, because... Lestat is much more interested in Daddy Greg, who has gotten a an appearance upgrade. Mm-hmm. Because I guess what he looked like before as a Swiss businessman. Not daddy enough. So now he looks like a Byzantine angel until he shaves. Yep. And also, I'm pretty pissed- That's pi- the phrasing, I didn't make it up. I- I'm also pretty pissed that it- Lestat seems to operate under Anita Blake rules, where Louis is not allowed to have other significant relationships unless it's unless it's somebody Lestat wants him to fuck. Like Fontaine. Like, Lestat is just pairing him off with Fontaine for no apparent reason other than Lestat wants him near Fontaine, because Lestat very obviously wants to hit that. Mm-hmm. And I favor the idea that this whole thing was... Um, an elaborate plot by Fontaine to raise his property values and flip that house that he no longer wanted and also get to court. I mean, he's such a non-character that we might as well make up absurd headcanons. Yes, I I like this idea. Yep. It's more than there is on the page, which is, I'm a bunny. (laughs) Yeah, after- after He's he's blonde and white and thin and has pale blue eyes. I know, we had no characters who looked like this. No, there were none. We needed another one. Who had one establishing scene and nothing else. So, yeah, they have this blatantly manipulative scene designed to remind you, Hey, you like this ship. I resent that you like this ship, but you like it, remember? Because, for those of you who don't know, somehow... For those of you who haven't been tuning in for the past 15 books, but just picked this up, who just tuned into this podcast, mm-hmm. Lestat and Louis is is the best ship or was, until it was ruined. Mm. In the original trilogy, it is the OTP. The entire structure of those three books is about their disastrous first marriage and reconciliation. Also, they lost a kid. Mm-hmm. But Anne 
this ties in directly to the lost a kid thing and now i feel shame at my words and deeds mm-hmm. um and wrote the first book in the aftermath of actually losing a child and louis is in many ways her way of getting those feelings down on paper but after she moved past that depression just like when she got over ocd a terrible phrase that she actually said Again, I I would not be flippant about that. She actually said that. She no longer wanted to interact with the character of Louis, and she no longer felt comfortable with him being a significant part of the series. Allegedly, allegedly, borne out in the text. Yeah. From an analytical standpoint, she has been trying to push Louis further and further out of the series as she moves away from where she was then, which she considers to be a victim mentality because it's only painful if you feel it but the fans were not having this so like conan doyle dragging uh sherlock holmes's soggy corpse out from under a waterfall she's got to have it in there so they barely interact have a lot they tell each other they love one another a lot but there's no sense of chemistry they never interact louis got to solve the plot one time while everyone was relentlessly condescending to him because he's young you know not like david who is literally from 1992 david was supposed to be replacement louis but nobody liked that he was new and improved in every way including having been raped yeah yeah uh we don't have time to go into the virtue coding thing okay just just put the link in the thing yeah um, but so, as you might expect, after they've had their one interaction telling each other how much they love each other. And a Gabrielle is dead. And the castle is under siege because everybody is apparently just a wuss. Mm-hmm. And also, apparently vampires can't see in super speed. Nope. Uh, apparently be- all vampires have super speed, but it's just as effective against any other vampire as against a human, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very funny. So I don't know how their eyeballs move when they move in super speed, but sure. Or how they think. Yeah, so Rochamandis pops in and he steals Louis next. And, and now Louis is super dead. Oh, he's totally dead. And that information is conveyed in the most crass way possible by sending home a bottle of ashes and his ring. His mm. ugly emerald ring. Ugh. And meanwhile... In contrast to the I love you so much speech, Lestat immediately fucks Greg. Yeah. But also, meanwhile, Armand, who was, he and Louis also had a disastrous relationship. But I mean, he literally killed Louis's daughter. Oh yeah, no. I mean disastrous in the most emphatic way possible. But they, they made a second go of it after they'd both changed a lot and grown as char- actually grown as characters. So, like, in the early 2000s, they were living together in New York. They were married s- for a decade. In a stable family unit with their children, Benji and Sybil. And, but, but then Lestat decided he wanted to bang Louis again. And so, so he just took Louis. And we've had... And that is how Lestat phrased it. Mm-hmm. He took Louis to his place. And, and we've had no, almost no mention of how Armand feels about that, except from, like, the occasional note that whenever, whenever Lestat is off doing a thing, not picking Louis up like a toy, he and Armand are always standing really close to each other, because they fucking. They fucking. Uh-huh. They fucking, and Lestat is the laughingstock of his whole court, I hope. Because uh-huh. he deserves it at this point. But- I hope the whole court knows that the executioner who doesn't do anything is fucking the consort that 
that even the, the prince isn't fucking. Yeah, so while Lestat is like, oh no, I'm so sad about Louis being kidnapped, Armand says nothing and just- And has a, a literal meltdown. Uh-huh. He, like, in a very advised sense of the word. Yeah, he, he beat, like, he beats on shit until his hands are shredded, and then just, like, lays there catatonic. And it's very effective. And, and Marius puts a hand on him. Fuck off, Marius. And then he delivers another of his five lines in this book, which are all the best things in the book. You never loved him. You were cruel to him. I protected him from you. And it's devastating. Oh my god. If you had asked me 20 years ago what the endgame ship here was, Armand Louis would not have even been in the running. Oh my god. Oh my god, I have so many feelings about them. You know when they lived in New York? You know what they were? Hmm? They were roommates. Oh my god. They were roommates! <laughs> it's really good. It's actually extremely moving and no. intense. And again... And it's not supposed to be. No. the worst part. The worst part is this is supposed to be an illustration of Armand being a petty little asshole shit. Uh-huh. With, and, and then the book tries to undermine it later where... While while we're figuring this out, because Marius also gets kidnapped, by the way, and then and we have to do something. And that is treated as a much more serious situation than the two people Lassad knows are dead. Uh-huh. His mother and his longest-term partner. But but no, his daddy is missing, though. Yep. Yeah, so at that point, Armand go, or Lestat goes back to Armand, who's like, You fucker, I've always been in love with you, and I've always hated you. I loved you even more than Louis, and even more than Marius. And I'm like, excuse you. Excuse you. I mean, it's technically true. Yes. The implication is that there's a ranking there, but, like, technically it's true. <laughs> I just, like... <laughs> Not that Vampire Armand is a good book because it's full of the fetishization of teenagers and the retconning of Armand's backstory to make him somehow responsible for what Marius did to him. But there was one really good moment in there where Armand is like, I stay the fuck away from Marius because I'm afraid if I go near him, I will fall back into who I was and be back under his control. Put a pin in that. Uh-huh. So to ha to have... The implication, even in the text, is like, I loved Marius more than I loved Louis, and more than I loved you, Lestat. Fuck off. And oh, by the way, another finger curled down on the monkey's paw, because Armand Lestat is a really good dynamic I've always wanted to see explored more. Outside of these books. Yeah. These books are shit. Yeah. The it, Prince Lestat series sucks. Don't read them. Uh-huh. Um, in fan fiction, if that were a thing, which it's not, of course, because that would be illegal. Yep. I sure wish that that ship would be explored more. Yeah, but that that is a highly illegal fanfic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so once... I guess we'll just have to imagine. Yep. In, in our the privacy of our own home. <laughs> and diaries. <laughs> My sparkly diary with a lock on it. <laughs> so, um, since Daddy's missing, um, Lestat has to do something. Oh, also, the, the castle's fucked up, but it's okay. The vampire servants are gonna hang doors. So it's fixed. So Lestat's like, all right, I will do something. I will just stand out in the courtyard and wait for him to show up. Mm -hmm. Th that's the plan. No, but, but it's deep and meaningful because it means he knows he could die and he's sacrificing himself. Which apparently no vampire has ever done, ever, in 6,000 years. Nope. Which, I don't even have to go through any books. Bullshit. It's bullshit. Uh-huh. That is a lie. And- 
it lasts. But that means he's the true king. Uh-huh. Prince. Sorry. Because some for some fucking reason, Anna's allergic to the word king. In the same way that Disney used to be allergic to the word queen, yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, even in the movie with a queen in it, it was still about the princess. Yeah. No, you're right. So, yeah, he, he gets picked up by Roshamandas. It lasts for five minutes, and then he kills him and eats his brain. Like, within three pages. Roshamandas swoops him through the air, and he poke, he moves super fast, just like Roshamandas has been doing. In what should be a fucking callback to Magnus, right? Uh, yeah. And then he rips Roshamandas' eyeballs out. Even though that's way more difficult than wrapping him in an entire yeah. why didn't he iron just fence. Wrap, why didn't he just wrap him in iron? <laughs> that would have been so much more effective. Um, he, he rips his eyeballs out and then he's, as he's like murdering the shit out of him by eating his brain, Rochamandez says some gibberish words. Uh, which is how it's put. Yep. Uh... Uh, also, side- and it's rendered in like a pigeon. Uh huh. And then he eats Rushamondis' brain, which all sounds bitchin', but is written in the most boring way possible. Yeah, side note, I love a good gore scene. These are boring and feel really out of place. It's weird. Uh huh. Because they're up against all the wealth porn and not in a good contrast way. Mm-mm. Yeah, not in a like, we're showing the rotting decay underneath all this decadence. And then he rips Rushamondis' head off and sets it on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then carries the corpse back to the court, and they have another murder orgy yep. on, on the dance floor. And so the major antagonist of the book is dead. Well, we still have Gundasanth to worry about. Ostensibly. You, you know, we ha- still have that looming threat of Gundasanth. Gundasanth shows up and says, kill Bodwin, he's an asshole, I worship you, Lestat. And then we still have 80 pages left. The, not a fucking joke. In this 256-page book with, with inch- illustrations and inch-and-a-half my- margins. There is less text per page than your average. It, it's also very large print and wide-spaced. Those of you um, with visual difficulties, this is very easy to read. Yeah, it's it, it, it looks almost like a large print book. Yeah, it's it's like on the razor's edge of being a large print book. It, it It's a novella stretched out to be sold as a full-length book. It's that shit you did where you specifically um, increased the size of every period to 14 points. And put two spaces after. Yep. Because no teacher knows about that trick and has ever checked for it. I check. I check. So we still have 80 pages till the end. Um, Louis and Gabrielle are definitely dead. They're dead. They're so dead. Lestat's not thinking about those because it would just be too overwhelming for him, but he's thinking constantly about how Marius is dead. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm... Sh- you know, just, I'm familiar with dissociation. That's mm-hmm. not what this reads like. No, because Lestat This has- reads like Marius is a more important character and we care more about the loss of Marius yeah. than these two randos we killed off. Well, because Lestat is dissociated in the good books and it feels very differently from this. Yeah. Like, there is a looming sense of what's not being talked about. This is just flat prose. Mm-hmm. And the prose in this is very weird, and we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, uh, so they then they figure out that, wait a minute, Roshamandes was not saying gibberish words. He was saying Hebrew words out... <sighs> I skimmed this part of the book because I was very bored, so you are going to have to explain. He, he was using Hebrew words... Out of, I don't know, um, I'm not Christian, was not raised Christian, so I don't, 
and I'm also not Jewish, so I don't know any of the terminology involved, but basically he was using a phrase out of the Hebrew Bible for a prison because it was some sort of ho-ho-ho private joke with himself because he used to imprison Christian monks underground and occasionally would let one of them free on Rosh Hashanah. And when begging for his life, he for some reason phrased his um, his explanation that they were not dead in the most obtuse way possible in a language Lestat doesn't know. Yep. And had no reason to know. Mm-hmm. So then it takes them 20 fucking pages to well, realize that maybe something that was underground is still underground. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not even a secret. Everybody apparently knew he had this torture prison a couple hundred years ago. Uh-huh. They're like, no, but he said he destroyed it, so it's definitely gone now. <laughs> also, um, that that thing about uh, monks. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, we have retconned in that uh, that's how he met Benedict, is he, he literally just kidnapped him and had him in his torture dungeon. Which, again, would be interesting fanfic fodder. If that character weren't dead now. Yep. If both of them weren't dead now. Oh, I mean, I'm fine with Rashomon as being dead, but damn it, Benedict could have been interesting. Like Benji and Sybil, he is not interesting on the page, but no, boy. But but there's so much potential there. If a person wrote fan fiction, if that weren't very illegal. You know, but, but it is like me attempting to play Grand Theft Auto. Wasted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so after taking 20 fucking pages to figure out something the the reader put together also, instantly. He, he, he finds some sheet metal out back of the <laughs> underground dungeon and he has to ask multiple people, hey, hey what is steel made out of? Well, why it's mostly metal. Mostly iron. <laughs> and he has to repeatedly keep reminding us that sheet metal is made out of steel, which is made out of iron. In case, and also that steel is iron, you guys. Also that these large sheets were probably brought here by trucks, which is a very salient <laughs> detail in this very climactic search. <coughs> yeah, trucks definitely had to bring these here. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I mean, a vampire could just walk into the Home Depot of France, <laughs> buy some sheet metal and just zip it there with his super speed. That's so scary. <laughs> Well, then he'll lose his membership at the Home Depot. Right, they don't have any rules about how you're allowed to transport it. (laughs) He can go to the contractor's entrance and just just go. (laughs) Yeah. So le depot. (laughs) Da home. I don't speak French. (laughs) Which is where Lestat goes. That's where Lestat found Alan. Yeah, there's, there's, the, there's been this running thing for three books about how Lestat super wants to bone the dude who's been refurbishing the local village. Lestat describes him as an architect, but Lestat's stupid and he's not an architect. He's clearly a contractor. He's a carpenter. Yeah, and this a very skilled carpenter and contractor who's overseeing the renovations. And, and Lestat goes on and on about how in love he is with this guy. Dude gets one scene. <clears throat> But anyway, Lestat picked him up at the Man Depot. Uh-huh. And so Depot de Homme. Quelle surprise. Uh, the three totally dead vampires are in this underground torture prison. Which is exactly where it has been for centuries. Yep. No one thought to check it. They're in coffins. Um, their heads are twisted around, though. 
Yeah, because apparently now breaking a vampire's neck uh, severs their ability to communicate telepathically and puts them in like a like a set state of stasis. Oh, hadn't you heard? <laughs> Which makes me really wonder what the fuck Marius was doing to, to the Ancient Ones. Thanks, that's upsetting. You wondered why she hated him. Hmm. That is upsetting, thank you. <laughs> Just put him right way around for Lestat to come and visit. And, <laughs> and that, that's why she was able to do so much more when Lestat was there. Yikes. Yeah, and also, you know how in in all of the other books, the solution to vampiric injuries was just cut a limb open and pour some blood on them? Dump some more powerful blood in there. It's fine. No, 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 no. We have to get the vampire doctor in here. And luckily, Fareed, the vampire doctor, is apparently also a doctor of osteopathy. So he's able to carefully recalibrate their spines. He, he literally just twists their heads on, like, slightly. Like, like, like G.I. Joe's. <laughs> And gets it straight. And it's it, fixed. It takes half a page. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a big deal. Oh, except Marius resets his own neck because he's a boss. Uh-huh. Which, I'll... How? Okay, but in abstract, the image of... They're also wrapped up in sheet metal, which, if you'll recall, is, is made, made of out of iron. iron. <laughs> Fuck. What do you two think metal these, gears are made of? Two of these three people couldn't even use magical fire sight anyway, so I don't know what vampire powers that was muffling. Fuck if I know. But yeah, then so we get we get a tender reunion scene with Gabrielle because she had to be put in her place, I guess. Yep. Well, and and now she is willing to be the Stats mommy, the way he always fantasized. I hate it. Thank you. And and, and a tender reunion scene with Marius. And then Louis' head is on. And uh, yeah, Louis' awake. I guess. All right, let's go home. And it's also mentioned in passing that Louis seems really upset and is, like, holding himself at court and seems, like, exceptionally traumatized by what happened. That's never touched on again. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry. This Armand talked to him about it. pages from the end. Yep. So then we have to discuss. So this is 40 pages from the end. We'll, we'll get it over with and then and then we'll talk about the writing. So nothing happens. Nothing happens. Um, Lestat fucks the architect. Yep, who has one scene in the three books that he's been mentioned. But apparently Lestat is simultaneously wondering how to tell him that he's a vampire and also knows that the dude already knows he's a vampire. And like, fine, whatever, if this dude had actually been a character. Uh, uh, no, but except those conflicting things are literally in the same scene. Yeah. Because this book a mess. Because it was written all in one go with no rewrites for continuity or pacing. No, no, this one had an editor. Allegedly. And um, then we have another dance party. And Lestat realizes that he was the true king after all. Thank you, And Aragorn. that's what's important. You've come home. End of book. Oh, oh, oh wait. Also, um, the Replamoid clone. There is... People. There the, is the people of the purpose. Yeah, there is this thing that I assume... There's this weird is, sequel hook? Yeah, it's like a weird sequel hook where, where Armand is like... Listen, motherfucker. You're stupid and you ruined everything. I told you to kill that motherfucker, Rochamandes, and you didn't, and now Louis is dead. So listen to me right now when I tell you, you gotta kill those clone motherfuckers. You're not gonna do it, but I'm gonna call in my one favor. And he does it. And then, after the plot has been solved and there's still 40 pages from the end, uh, Capetria comes to Lestat and is like, Oh man, I've been doing some really interesting experiments with clones. It turns out- And the more times I clone people, the more passive they are. Yes, the more childlike and subservient they become. So by the 10th generation- And also the blonder. Mm. 
So by the tenth generation, they're basically slaves. Isn't that great? Yeah, but she's describing them as slaves, but they actually sound super useless because they don't sound like they're even good at labor. So they they don't even fit the definition of the application of a slave in a capitalist system. No, they're just repetitive motion machines that are also theoretically sentient humans, but not really. They're not sentient, though. No, they're just meat blobs, which Uh is why we don't have to feel guilty, just like David. Mm -hmm. I hate David. Again, we did mention that that these are the darkest-skinned characters in the book, didn't we? Yeah. And they're they're propagating for themselves and discovering. Uh Uh-huh. And specifically these inherently livestock-like aspects to their propagation. If these people make too many of themselves, they turn into livestock. And, uh, yeah, Capetria specifically lived in the United States during the Civil Rights era, so it's bad all the way down. Nothing comes of that. It's, I presume, a sequel hook for if they shit out another one of these godforsaken things. Who's they? I mean, Anne Rice. Uh, yeah, so, end of book. Lestat was the true king all along. Golf claps all around. And none of that was interesting or made any difference to anything. No, most of, like, most of the murders and and whatnot happened super quickly or off screen. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, the way we phrased it here, it sounded like, if not a good book, it at least had shit happening. Most things that happened didn't happen on screen. Like, Lestat wasn't there for a lot of the plot. He's just caught up on things afterwards. He was napping for multiple kidnappings mm-hmm. or busy fucking Greg. Arjun was murdered before he showed up and solely as an excuse to say Lestat should get to pass summary judgment and to establish the existence of dungeons, which are now being outfitted um, to keep humans down there. So that the babies can come to court. Because that's the solution. Not just allow vampires to be vampires. Nope, it's keep meat bag. It's it's keep a cattle farm in the basement. This is now. But don't that- worry, they're all bad people. Uh huh. From oddly specific locations, like there, there's a list, <laughs> including <laughs> including Baltimore. Which I'm sorry, let, let me nip off back to where I grew up and commit some crimes, <laughs> so I can meet the vampires. <laughs> let me crime a bit. <laughs> I just. <laughs> Dude, Lestat could not fucking handle the criminals of Baltimore. No. Imagine him meeting any of John Waters' characters. He would piss himself <laughs> like he did the time he got a human body. Oh, Like God. when he tried to eat spaghetti. <laughs> I want to see Daniel in Baltimore. <laughs> hey, you know who's not in this book? At all. At all, not even mentioned in passing? Daniel. Our boy. Our boy, who... The- one of the two characters who got out of Interview with the Vampire. Uh-huh. Like, possibly the most important character in the whole series. Uh-huh. In terms of just forming a load, forming a foundation for the rest of it to exist. Because if Interview with the Vampire didn't exist, Lestat wouldn't have written his own shitty trash novel and become a rock star. Mm-hmm. Also, like, he wasn't really in... Atlantis either, but it was mentioned in passing that he existed, that he existed, and that he and Armand got back together. And now Armand is just permanently at court, I guess. And it's always mentioned that Benji and Sybil are around him. No mention of Daniel at all. 
Now, Benji and Sybil's characterization is on the same level as Victor and Rose. They're basically accessories to Armand, which is a shame because in theory, they're interesting characters. I think Benji gets one line. And Sybil is not mentioned, not quoted, but mentioned to be telling Armand not to kick up too much of a fuss. Well, and also, Prince is very angry. She also gets set on fire when, um, when Rochamandes comes through and so needs to be rescued and is very upset. Yeah. But other than that, no, Danny. Also, Marius paints a big ass mural on the ceiling that Flannery gets name dropped as being in. Again, a character who should have been interesting, but in effect was just an incubator for Lestat's biological son. You know, for even Flannery should have been one character. Uh huh. Absolutely. But Anne couldn't conceive of. <laughs> conceive of. Oh. A character being both important and female. Yeah. So the, the Great Savrain also becomes hysterical when her friend Gabrielle is kidnapped. Her friend. All of the female characters exist to be hysterical, mm-hmm. except Barbara, who is less emotional than everybody else. Barbara is a character who lived in America. Um, um, she she was born before the fall of slavery. She's one eighth black. Yeah, she she was a. But also, she's like Italian and Greek and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a free black woman in America before the fall of slavery. Was vampire. She was an octoroon, to use the terminology of the time. Ugh. Which has implications for her legal status. Yep. So as then she comes to Lestat's court, and despite the fact that she played in opera houses, she was a musician. No, no, no. She she was a university professor. Right. She was a professor. Yeah. She was a university professor who lived on in the Midwest of America. So not important. Of course not. <laughs> Nothing that happens in the Midwest is important. But she was a university professor who lived in the Midwest of America with her two partners. Genders non-specified. Um, they were murdered. Yep. By punks. Because punk vampires are bad. Mm-hmm. And a thing. Because Anne has are just a- Are part of the 3,000 that Fareed has calculated exist? Do the punk vampires count? No. Because, I mean, the Asian vampires don't count. Nope, we haven't counted them. It's rather specifically mentioned. So, um, so despite being a professor, Barbara comes to court and takes up her new role as the head of Lestat's shirts. She's the head of laundry. Mm-hmm. She she is the head of household duties, and her specific talent is finding vampires who are suited to servitude because they just want a purpose in life, and that purpose is kissing Lestat's butt. Mm-hmm. And that's what she does. That shiny marble butt. And of course, Lestat is like, oh, but I never asked her to do any of these things. But it just makes her so happy. And all of the, these other people who have signed on to, you know, clean up spills for eternity. For uh-huh. literally ever. And she's put everybody in uniforms. And she's the one who decided they should have dungeons downstairs. Like, because they found dungeons. Why does this castle have dungeons? It's a little shitty castle. Yeah, because Lestat was... Broke ass, the practically most minor fake aristocrat. Uh-huh. The entire thing was he had a title and nothing else. It was kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but more and more as these books have gone on, the tragedy isn't that he was, you know, smart and strong and nobody recognized it. It was that his title was not being properly honored. Um... Like all those upstarts who disagreed with the Romanovs. Mm, again and, and comes back to the whole Romanovs did nothing wrong thing a lot well it didn't come up in this book but it did come up in the last book I mean her 
her fetish for Russian aristocrats came back in this book. That's true. That's very true. That's right. Mitka had a thing about Mitka the Romanovs. Mitka slash Fontaine. Depending on the scene. Well, he was in the court of Catherine the Great, but... Yeah. And, um... Which is how vampires track anything. By the aristocracy. And again, it's fine if there's this trend among vampires to be... To gravitate towards the rich and the powerful and the shiny fuck all. But you have to frame that in a way that's even slightly critical. Plus, she's self-aware. Plus, that's not in-universe where all the vampires are coming from. Like, she keeps mentioning that there are these lower-class vampires. Right. But rather than saying there's a conflict there, she just treats lower-class vampires as rats to be exterminated. Mm-hmm. Well, and somebody has, like, a tossed-off condemnatory comment about how, you know, there are there are many walks along the Devil's Road, and for Rashomandes, you know, it, it was always paved in gold because they cut off all his cards as a mean to corner him. But that's not actually borne out in text. All the poor vampires have no lines or personality. And exist to be exterminated. Right. They are cannon fodder. So that sucks. Also, remember when... When I was mad about Armand and the theoretical implication that he loved Marius more than Louis or Lestat, fucking Marius is the one who gets to go comfort him after the the whole kidnapping thing goes down. And it's framed in a really predatory way. Mm -hmm. Like, as Marius has literally been waiting for Armand to be sufficiently emotionally vulnerable that he can swoop in. And Lestat's like, hmm, okay. Yep, and nothing more was spoken about that. But just overall, the writing of this is very, very strange. It's very chilly. Um, the eroticism present in earlier books is just not there. Like, even when characters are having sex or the equivalent, there's neither a sensual nor an emotional component. Yeah, it's all very, like, there's a lot of sumptuous furniture descriptions. But the actual... There's wealth porn. There's a lot of wealth porn, but the actual porn porn, which again, for teenagers reading the early books, these are classy porn that's not technically porn because they don't have boners. Right, and also that your parents wouldn't pick up because it's a dumb mm-hmm. horror novel. Mm-hmm. And that's just not there anymore. The The prose is more concise. Um, We mentioned when we talked about... I, I would describe it as a brisk read, which... I've never said about anything that Anne Rice has written. Yeah, like the early books are very much uh, influenced by the Gothic style. So, you know, it's very purpley prose and you're either in for that or you're not. And then when we read Atlantis, we talked a lot about how it was extremely repetitive. This is more concise and clear-headed than that. But it's not... It it is so cold and bland and reads almost middle grady. Like the prose is very simplistic. Yeah, and and the pacing is all over the place because most of the important things that happen happen off screen. And then you get wallowing in things that should be very quick. Like maybe the thing that's underground is underground. Holy shit. Do you think the underground thing is underground? Maybe it's underground. Fuck. But again, should we do something? We should do something. But again, Louis waking up is half a page, and then they go home. Yeah, and it feels very strange. It doesn't feel like anything I've ever read from Anne Rice. Certainly her pro style has changed in the last couple years. Uh, She did a sequel to The Mummy, for God knows what reason, that her son Chris Rice had a co-credit on. 
So clearly she's branching out there, but this is this is credited to her. So this is her writing. She claimed that this book had an editor at work on it, but doubt, doubt. Even if somebody got an editor credit, they didn't deserve the money. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say that because the pacing is all over the place. You know, antagonists. You can almost break yeah, this I, book you, into chunks by by. And, and you could say that, that you know, the reason Lestat wasn't there for any of these things that happened, the, like the reason all, everything happens off screen is Lestat wasn't there for it, except you decided that. This is not actually a true history of the vampire world. Right. Like, it, it can be a contrived thing for the protagonist to happen to be there for every important thing that happens. But it's also but... contrived for him to happen to be off screen when the person he's talking about is murdered. Right. Or, and even thinks that he is literally there for when, like, when the book opens and he kills the punk vampires. Described in a sentence. Yeah. The, Moving on. So it's very strange, um, pacing-wise. And there's also just continuity errors. There's uncontinuity errors. Holy there are shit. There continuity corrections that are errors. Uh, so long-time listeners may know that my personal <laughs> technical bugbear is the fact that the, the very impo- important cult to the series, the satanic cult that brainwashed Armand and did a bunch of other shit that rippled through the universe was called the children of darkness. And then for some godforsaken reason in Prince Lestat, she decided to retcon it aggressively as the children of Satan, except in this book where it's mostly the children of Satan. And then I was reading through it. Uh huh. I missed this. Dorothy got it. I had already completed reading the whole book. And then I was like, right, 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 right. Page like 200 ish. Uh huh motherfucking children of darkness it just pops up in there it's just in there which again yeah because if there were a competent editor and she were actually accepting edits from that editor which could also be a problem that that's not even hey this book has terrible pacing issues and it's very boring that you need to rework it which are things that an editor should say absolutely it like an actual editor instead of a proofreader this is proofreading level and did not get caught yeah, the structure of this book is extremely first draft because there'll be things like, oh yeah, this antagonist happened. Um, all right, that's done now. It reads almost episodically. And again, 256 pages. And I never thought I would miss her shitty head hopping with the explanation that Lasada is using psychic powers. Mm-hmm. I never thought I would miss that contrivance that's been a thing since Queen of the Damned onward. This book is locked firmly into Lestat's point of view in the shittiest way possible. A, a recurring theme of these books is that there's a semi-competent horror narrative trying desperately to get out, and it never gets acknowledged, like, of Lestat gradually becoming a monster and fighting against it and losing. But but that has to have a so what. Like, uh-huh. in, in the most, you know, first creative writing cra- class um, sense... You need to so what? Because I don't give a shit at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm all hollowed out. Yeah, it's 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 very weird how reading this book is a strangely emotionless experience, but... That's what made it take a really long time to read for me. It was a brisk read. It was really fast every time I sat down to, to read it. I read it in, like, three sessions. But it was so empty that I didn't want to sit down and read it. 
Yeah. And the the last scene of the book where where they have a big fucking ball and nothing matters is filled with this ominous writing where Lestat keeps thinking that something's wrong, something's wrong, I'm uneasy about all of this and I don't know what it is, that you'd think would be a moment of... And no, it turns out he was just being down on himself uh-huh. and, and doubting his inherent goodness and self-confidence. Yep. It's not that he's he's shoving down the realization that this is a horrifying thing where he has become the thing he originally tried to tear down. It it was unwarranted nervousness at his own greatness. Yeah, and it is... It's baffling. The cognitive dissonance, dissonance, there we go, is real. And also, one more character thing to scream about, uh, and, uh, but, but Gabrielle, though. Yeah, Gabrielle. So... Uh, long story short, Anne accidentally a trans character and has been fucking it up ever since. But Gabrielle has always been very independent, um, super queer-coded, wears a lot of masculine clothing. Except at the end of this book- uh, Well, and one of her formative character moments was poached for the Neil, Gor- Neil Jordan film. Mm-hmm. Which was that um, she cut her hair and dressed in masculine clothing um, her first night as a vampire. Mm-hmm. As part of her shedding of her mortal self and her realization of herself as as a true person that's not bound by society. And then when she woke up the next night, she was horrified to discover that her hair grew back, which meant that this was an aspect of her physical body that she could never truly effectively change. Mm -hmm. And it's like the defining moment of her character. But again, they poached that for like a quick visual gag with Claudia which sad but then after Lestat rescues her at the end of this book she shows up to the fancy Christmas ball dressed which up is like Christmas uh-huh and she's dressed up like Marie Antoinette and is like I'm gonna be here as long as you want me sweetie she died before Marie Antoinette and yet and also Marie Antoinette was not popular and also she was Italian mm-hmm. well well see Gabrielle was Italian do you see no no Marie Antoinette was German oh right Gabrielle was Italian, was my point. Um, words good. Yep. And and Lestat has a moment of thinking, wow, she looks just like the photo of... of the, the photo. Yep. She, she looks just like that portrait that they had taken of her with my father. You know... Which was never mentioned before, ever. Nope. And the, the idea that they had money for portraits. Lol. <laughs> and also the fact that we are told at length that Lestat's father is a is a abusive monster to both him and his mother. But this is this in no way rings any bells for him. No and, alarm bells. And also, you know, Lestat hated and feared his father to the point where he couldn't even kill the man. But no, no, no. This is a sign that Gabrielle is happy, finally. Like, we saw Lestat's father's death in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. So there is just this bizarre bizarre cognitive dissonance of shit that should be horrifying and it's just blazed right past as though it's a good thing. And I don't think it's a case of, oh, well, you're supposed to be picking up on that and he just doesn't realize it. I think the writing is just that bad. Yeah. Because of all the things that get brought up and immediately dropped. Yeah. Um, we have been going for an app for almost 90 minutes now, so I feel like we should probably bring it in for a landing. This, this was tiring. This was really this was, sad and exhausting. It was tiring and saddening to read. Um, I've read 40 years worth of content in this series, and I'm only in my 30s. Um, the series is exactly 10 years older than me. 
I've stuck with it, even when it was upsetting, because at least it was emotionally involving. This was cold and frustrating. Nothing mattered, and even the things that that I theoretically wanted. Well, and the things that were treated as though they mattered are so far from my sphere of understanding. I don't want to read a story about a guy who's a leader just because he's the loudest and noisiest. It's not... It's not fun or good. It's not interesting. Like, the characters I'm interested in care about used to include Lestat. Uh Uh-huh. I loved Lestat. But I don't like this character, who is not Lestat anymore. He's interesting as a horror protagonist, but that's not the way he's treated. Mm -hmm. As in, he's not the monster at the center of the story. And... I'm aware that there will be people popping up to tell me, oh, you're just not reading it right. You're not understanding that that's the true horror. These books are uh, well That has to come to fruition in he, order for that to count. Even if he himself never realizes, there has to be a moment where somebody realizes. Like, frankly, the only way this could be redeemed at this point is if the court literally had a rebellion and took his head on a pike. Which... I'm not clear whether it could happen or not. Because at the beginning of the book, he said he was truly immortal and couldn't be destroyed by anything. And then throughout the book, there were these repeated references to, I'm in such peril. Oh my God. It's a for real danger. Yeah. There, there were also threats of, of new books about different characters. Just active threats. Active oh threats. my gosh. I wrote down these stories about these guys. Fucking How dare you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me... Sad. Sad and just extra sad if that series, if the Hulu series ever actually does come out. Yeah, because the people in charge of it are the people who wrote this book. Like, it's Anne Rice and whoever edited this shit. And Chris Rice. Yep. Her co-author from The Mummy. Yep. Two. Electric Boogaloo? That was lazy. (laughs) Scorpion King. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. Um... So yeah, it's it's really, and this book is so determinately trying to court new list new readers yeah, at every we turn. Didn't even, yeah, we didn't even discuss that, but that's another really frustrating thing about reading this. Mm-hmm. That, that's the pin that I inserted earlier. There it is. We found it. Yeah, it, that. Ouch. <laughs> well, um, while interesting characters get shoved off to the sidelines, there are these constant refer- like potted reintroductions. To like, here's what this person looks like. Here's their measurements, and here's their or, their potted origin story in a paragraph. Every character gets a one paragraph introduction as we go around the table and discuss seating arrangements, and that's not in any way a joke. Yeah. That literally happens. Like sometimes people pick up books later in the series and don't start with the first one. This but is book fifteen, like of a very long running series by a very recognizable author. Which, by the way, to close out, um, this book debuted at number five on the New York Times bestseller list. And that went up? Oh, no. Um, it, the, the, then it went down to, like, seven? No, it dropped off completely. The next week. Forty years as a New York Times bestselling author. What did she say on Amazon? Oh, no. no. Oh, honey, no. That, there's no record of that ever having happened. It's not there anymore. There's a lot of records of that having happened. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Maybe when they 
put out the next godforsaken one of these. We'll read it. Maybe we won't. Maybe. Yeah. But this was just very strange. And it wasn't written for me. No. In the weirdest way. I've, I've been sticking with this my whole life. And this was written more to court strangers than to keep the people who were already attached. Because clearly, it's not selling to the people who used to buy it. It spent so much time just giving introduction. How much of those 250 pages would you say? Oh, at least 50. At yeah. least 50 pages About of it. 20% of this book were just reintroductions to characters who already existed. Of whom there are too fucking many. Uh, because, again, vampires that she never kills named characters. She has to invent a new character to kill. Yep. So, yeah. Um, we did that. Happy New Year. We're very tired. We're gonna watch, we're gonna read the Dildo Arms Robot next time we, we read a book. We swear to God, the next time you hear from us on the book podcast, it will we're be Chrome. We're Chrome. And, um, what, what's the next, uh, movie? Next uh, resumption of our normal schedule. I believe we are looking into foreign remakes of American films. So that'll be fun. Mm. Yes. Uh, so if you liked this podcast, you can find more of us on SoundCloud by looking for Trash and Treasures. Uh, you can also email us at trashandtreasures underscore pod at outlook.com. You can find us on social media uh, at trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com or on Twitter at trashpod. Uh, you know, say hi to us sometimes. We'll we'll give you a shout out on the show. We really appreciate all you listening. Yeah, and um, over the next year, you are going to get um, these drunk book clubs slightly more regularly. Um, because we have to accommodate for our other co-host, uh, Sean's disrupted schedule because he's away from home on a job. Yep. So you'll- And you'll probably hearing more, be hearing more, uh, guest stars upcoming. Yeah. I think we've got our first one pretty soon. Yeah. So that's exciting. It's Ooh. exciting. Yay. All right. We're looking uh, for new friends. <laughs> to hear us yell about vampires in a very tired way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to go drink a lot of water. Happy New Year, everybody. Take care of yourselves. See ya.